0: And we are happy to have Austin Bridges with us as our guest discussant and our our ever on top of things. DeMarcus as his kind assistant. And those are, we are two experts today, uh, beating or participating in a a question and answer. So we want to uh, invoke the Holy Spirit or. Put on the magical personality or do whatever we want to call it by opening with prayer here. And I have a little prayer to begin with. So let's all take uh, about 10 or 15
1: seconds here and just center. And then I'll lead us in this prayer. Dear infinite creator, help us to spread your fragrance everywhere we go. Flood our souls with your spirit and love.
0: Penetrate and possess our whole beings so utterly that all our lives may
1: be a radiance of yours.
0: Shine through us and be so in us. Every soul we come in contact with may feel your radiant presence in our souls.
1: Let them look up and see no longer us, but only love and the infinite creator. As you reign within our
0: heart of hearts, we shall shine as you shine, and thus be a light to others. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, so this is uh, how this all happens will depend on who's ready to hold up their hand i'll i'll be uh, watching and calling on you so uh, just wave or use the hand signal on the system there and i'll i will say hey demarcus raised his hand
2: yeah so um uh, i also have a question uh, question for you and there's been some confusion uh, in this group On this and this has to do with the quarantine so was the quarantine always planned for this planet or was it something that was solely a reaction um, of yahweh's infringement
3: uh yeah that's a really good question and actually before i uh say anything first want to thank you all for inviting me into this space a uh, Really great honor to be here and as uh, I really appreciate that you call this a question response session and not a question answer session because, um, you know, who has the answers. And uh, just to make sure, it's something we always want to reiterate, um, I'm here as the co-director of LL Research to help share my study, but we don't really want to present ourselves as like the ultimate authority in interpreting the material. So whatever I'm sharing with you is just an opinion, and it comes from, you know, a long time of study and um, familiarity with the material, especially because of the honor I have to be in my position, but... Um, We always emphasize to let seekers form their own relationship and make their own interpretation. So I always want to say that before I engage in any kind of interpretation like this. Um, And so then about the quarantine, uh, the way that I understand it, and I don't necessarily think it's 100% clear in the material, is that there's always going to be some kind of management of how the Confederation and or the Orion group interact with the planet in some way because, you know, they have such an intense interest in honoring the free will of a planet and doing so through sort of managing the contact with the planet. I think that Ra refers to Earth's management as a quarantine because it is a lot stricter than other types of management because of Yahweh's actions and how they changed things in that, you know, transfer from Mars to Earth and how they, you know, altered the beings in certain ways so i think that it's a little bit of both there's always some kind of management happening but what's happening on earth is so intense and so much more than usual because of a so-called infringement that um that's referred to as a quarantine
2: that makes a lot of sense thank you good answer
3: yeah yeah thank
0: you I, it was always a real encouragement to me to to know that those seven density beings were were managing this, <laughs> uh, how much evil we have to put up with. Uh, th- it's not as out of control as it seems. Uh, uh, you know, I can imagine being, it felt pretty out of control to those people going to the gas chambers under Nazi Germany. But, um, hey, it's, <clears throat> it's not not ultimately. So, who else?
4: Last question. Donna. Yeah, it's kind of off the steer off the subject a little bit. But um, Austin, you mentioned that you have some things going on at LL, some projects you were working on. Could you discuss any of them?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, So I had mentioned earlier, one of the biggest things we are always working on, but particularly now, is uh, updating our sort of translation infrastructure. We work with tons of translators um, I we're adding new translations all the time. I think we're up to twenty four languages live on the website right now, and managing all of the volunteer translators um, and finding ways to accommodate them and incorporate their work onto the website is a huge deal. But it's uh, a huge honor, too, because we have translators uh, in Iran and like Saudi Arabia, in Ukraine, all these sort of troubled areas in the world, and they all kind of see their work translating the Law of One is offering some kind of chance for this material that's so focused on love and so transformative to sort of seed its way around the planet. So, it's one of the things that we care about the most. Um, we have other sorts of updates to the website that are going into play in terms of how you can interact with the material that we share. Um, we recently in the past year, launched a search engine that was sort of unique. There's always been a way to search the Law of One via lawofone.info, but now on the search engine that we have on our website, LLResearch.org, you can search not only the Law of One, but all of the material that LL Research has ever channeled, or interviews and other types of transcripts. And it's something unique that has really opened up the way that people can study the material. And so we're going to take that even further, And allow people to sort of interact with the transcripts they can make notes highlights create a user account to make their own sort of like reading lists they can favorite certain transcripts and stuff like that so that's a big thing going on we have uh jim's wrote uh, living the law one 102 follow-up to carlo's work that's currently in the stages nearing the final stages of publication Um, we have a, a single volume of the raw contact law of one book in the works and, you know, we could go, I could probably talk on and on about every little thing we have going on. A good way, if you're ever interested to keep up with what LL Research is doing, is we keep a, it's become sort of a quarterly publication that we call the Blogworthy report, where Uh, If you go to our About page on the website, you can find the Blogworthy Report, and there's a huge list of everything, basically every little thing that we do. All the things that we spend our time every day doing uh, is included in that list, including links to all the transcripts, all the translations, all the new things on the website, and just updates on all the projects that we're working on.
4: That Sounds great. Thank you.
0: Uh, Peter. Hey,
5: Hey, thank you, uh, Austin. I'm just getting into the Law 1 um materials a little bit i started reading carla carla's book and i downloaded some of the stuff and scanned it it's all very complex to get into just for backstory um it, it, it sounds like to me that there was the original three carla and don and jim right and carla was the um channel and and don asked the questions and jim was described um and they did a body of work has there been and then Carl you know Don died, Carla passed away four or five years ago. Jim is still around are there is there other channeling that's been going on as has continued on? That's what's not clear to me
3: yeah, absolutely uh thanks for the question um there so the law of one did arise out of a a channeling experiment, and what we refer to as conscious channeling, which was a little bit distinct or a lot distinct from the Law of One, raw contact channeling. And so, uh, basically, the whole thing started with this conscious channeling experiment in the 60s. And then as Carla began to channel, and they started refining the practice, and then Jim came to join Don and Carla, that's when the Law of One started. The raw contact happened uh, primarily thanks to the trio of their energies, Don, Jim, and Carla. Jim finally joined, and the raw contact started less than a month later. And so, you're right that, you know, the raw contact went on for some time and then when Don died, that's when the raw contact stopped because it was their trio of energies that was required for the raw contact to be sustained. But that conscious channeling never stopped even during the raw contact. They still met on a regular basis to do that conscious channeling that was distinct from the raw contact, and that still continues to this day, which is what we continue to do at LL Research, is we meet several times a month to do conscious channeling. And what I mean by conscious channeling versus the raw contact, which we call trans channeling, is. The most basic, general way to describe that is in conscious channeling, you're not really going into a full trance. Uh, My experience is it's more of a meditative state. It can be a lot like a trance in a sense, but it's not like the trance that happened in the raw contact. And you are receiving concepts that there is at least some level of sort of interpretation from the instrument that happens to make these concepts flow through. There's some sort of receiving and then passing on. Whereas in the raw contact, the way that raw described it is Carla essentially uh, was able to leave her body completely, and raw was able to use her body from a distance, essentially, to give answers directly, so that there was no real, according to Ra, that, yeah. interpretation of their words. It was coming through straight through without her participation. And that's the main difference between the conscious channeling and the trance channeling, and it's the conscious channeling that we continue to this day. We haven't done anything like the Raw context since then.
5: Okay, so the conscious channeling um, has more context from the from the, the vehicle or the channeler, from
3: their mind, their motions,
5: their own catalysts.
3: Yes. And uh, they have described the contacts we have primarily, currently, um, ever since the 80s. The primary contact has been an uh, entity or entities called KUO. And the way that they've described the process of incorporating a person's own context is it can be a double-edged sword, but it helps to ground that information in more of the human direct experience uh, and helps to, you know, make it relevant. And they've given a number. I don't know how, how to apply these numbers, but they said 70% of their influence and 30% of the instrument's influence. is kind of what they aim for in a conscious contact like that. And
5: this is called QQO. Uh, Q-U-O. And so Q-apostrophe-U-O. And this is another form of intelligence, structure of intelligence that's communicating.
3: Yeah, um, it, it can get a bit complicated, but they are entities from the Confederation. Supposedly, you know, Ra was a social memory complex, and then we uh, LR Research was channeling other social memory complexes at the time that they channeled Ra, including entities named Hetan and Latwee. And after the rock contact ended, Kuo eventually came along. And at some point, they finally discovered that Kuo, they asked Kuo who they were. And at that point in time, they said that they were an amalgamation, sort of a combination of Hatan, the fourth density, Latwee of the fifth density, and Ra of the sixth density. So it was a way to incorporate all of those viewpoints and bring the raw social memory complex into the channeling in a way that wasn't, didn't need trans channeling. So it's not going to be as precise as the right. raw contact, but it allows for them to influence it in some way.
5: Okay, that's good. I'll ask, I'll just make one more comment and you can reflect on that if you want. It seems to me, though, there's always going to be the context. Of the culture and the people that are receiving the information you know because don was interacting and asking questions so the consciousness of those three and the context of the culture they were a part of american you know they were in kentucky at the time it was the 80s or 70s and so all the vibrational uh, qualities of, of the collective consciousness was there and so in some ways it's it's living breathing relevant to the a vibratory nature of the moment and the people in that moment. I don't know if you would reflect on that for a minute, but thank you.
3: Yeah, thank you. I agree 100% that um, even if Ra was speaking in a very direct sense through Carla, not only is there all that context that you talked about, which I think will require us to recontextualize it you know reflect on the context that it arrived in and the context of where we are now and reconcile those things to understand it better but i also think that raw catered their message to the particularities of don carla and jim particularly don i think don was an engineer um a physics professor and so he had a very sort of mechanical uh rational mind. And I think that Ra was able to structure a lot of how they spoke and how they presented concepts to appeal to that side of Don that allowed Don to interface with it in a very unique way. So I think there's, what you're saying is true in various ways.
5: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Danny had his hand up.
1: Well, it kind of got answered. <clears throat>
6: I was going to ask about the densities. Um, you know my understanding is raw was sixth density and i a lot of this is new to me the more recent uh receivings and so i think you said it was a combination of fourth and fifth and sixth and i've kind of done a studied a lot of channeled work since 08 and i you know started with something like the course in miracles and many courses after it and i I agree with Peter. I sense a flavor of not only the time period, but the people that receive um, the messages. I mean, even I don't know if many people watch Paul Selig, you know, as he channels these days. Um, uh, But it definitely um, or like oneness that Rasha that spent some 20 years purifying kind of her own. psyche, so to speak, to receive a more clearer message. So I it is pretty neat. I remember when I first got into it, Troy said if you want to study something that's the least ego contaminated, you know, look at the raw material. And that was my first introduction to it. Um and I guess there just hasn't been a a combination that of people like like the three of them since that you know tried to do it in, in in the trans channeling way.
3: Yeah, as at least in terms of LL research, um, it's not something that we aim for necessarily. It was a, Carla had taught some channels for a while before she passed away, um, but it wasn't until after she passed away that the current channeling circle really started. We learned from Jim and one of uh, Carla's other students named Steve. Uh, we learned how to channel from them, and that was around 2016 that we just first started learning, which um, it seems like it's a long time ago, seven years, I guess, now. Uh, but we still all feel like beginners, and I don't think that we'd ever attempt to recreate the raw contact. It was something very unique to those three individuals, and it came with a lot of difficulty for them, is when you read the material, you figure out exactly what they went through, which is not something we're necessarily eager to dive into. Um, but the way that the raw contact happened was that they set out to serve and receive the highest and best contact that they could they wanted to channel uh, the best way that they could and that's how raw was able to come in and so that's sort of our aim too is to serve in the highest and best way that we can and if that brings about something like the raw contact that would be really cool but we don't know exactly what you know can happen now or what might happen in the future in terms of our own channeling experiment and how we're handling things thank you yeah thank you
4: okay um i can say i kind of grew up a little bit in the time maybe a little bit after uh carla don and jim but roughly around the same time i was uh, in in those years. And, um, you know, I have read or listened to or um, looked into other channels, and I can say I have not come across it, like you said, Troy, um, as pure channeling of, of messages as as with Raw. And I was just really curious, because when I listened to some of the questions that Don would ask, I go, wow, that wasn't even something that many people weren't even thinking about during those years i mean where did those questions come from it's almost like they were given to him uh to ask um because there were some of them were so um i call them far far in advance or in the future so i was just curious of where the has jim ever shared did they ever share where their questions came from or how they came about those
3: yeah absolutely um According to Jim, and even, you know, we've done some digging through their papers and stuff, uh, it was primarily Don, who was the brain, who was coming up with the questions, and even a lot of the questions that he asked uh, were on the fly. So we did discover, eight or nine years ago, uh, a notebook that was really cool, we'd never seen it before, that was sort of Don's planning notebook, where uh, before each session he would write out a bunch of questions, and you can see some of his thought processes and some of the questions that didn't get asked. Uh, and all that. But then it would always be the situation as Jim describes it, that Don would ask a question and Ra would give such a thorough or mind bending answer that it would kind of like make Don have to stop and think and come back to it later. So then he would ask a different question or it would cause him to divert from his planned questions and go into a totally new line of questioning. So it was primarily Don's brain. uh, But like you're saying, it seems like there was some sort of you know, almost uh, extra guidance happening. And I do think that's true, particularly because in the Ra Contact, in the Law of One, Ra talks about how those three individuals had reincarnated in different configurations before together in order to sort of form this energetic dynamic that it seems like was planned to eventually result in the Ra Contact. And so, they had gone through incarnations before and like different family dynamics and supporting each other in different ways and that resulted in this unique energetic configuration that was able to bring in the raw contact and so i think my theory would be that this is something they planned with raw that you know raw was part of this whole plan and that there's something larger than just those three seeking uh something but they were able to give up their own you know own goals enough, like I said, seeking just the highest and best, that whatever intelligence was at work to make the raw contact happen, whatever is larger than them, guided them to that. And that's also, you know, the source of a lot of Don's questioning, I think, is, uh, you know. Any time I think that we're able to enter that zone, giving ourselves over and allowing us to only seek the highest and best and bring in something from outside, um, anybody can channel, in that sense, something higher than themselves. And I think that's the process that Don went through in forming questions.
4: Well, thank you. One, one other quick question, and this is just one I bring up over and over, and I tend to think about it often. And Demarcus even gave a really nice presentation on this section, but when I go and I, you know, and I'm I'm just kind of day to day living and having conversations with people and some of, you know, I'm listening to them. And I think, wow, if you just go back to the beginning of time, um, uh, humanity has been a very much a bellicose nature. Uh, nature. And, and I'm thinking, why is that? You know, I'm just very puzzled about it. And there were, and I can't remember the planets that sort of self-destructed and um, due to what was happening with how they were either not caring for the planet or what was going on between them. Does Ra, and I can't remember, does he talk much about this particular planet Earth and what, what is happening here? Because it's just very curious um, to, to, to watch what's unfolding.
3: Yeah, Ra does talk a little bit about the bellicose nature of uh, our planet, particularly, um, and also the other planets in our solar system. According to Ra, the planets in our solar system that I think you're referring to would be Mars, uh, which supposedly destroyed their biosphere, and uh, Maldek, which was a planet that is now the asteroid belt. So that was the results of their bellicose natures. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, Uh, Ross says that other planets from other places in the galaxy that have third-density repeaters, um, entities who are not able to sort of um, polarize enough to go into the fourth density before their harvest came and their planet moved on, uh, we have populations of them here. So there's lots of different energies at play on planet Earth, but I think a highlight is the fact that there are two other planets that sort of went down this destructive path. Uh, according to Ra. There was one successful planet, uh, Venus, where Ra came from, but these two other planets um, were all part of the same archetypical mind, uh, what Ra refers to as sort of like our solar system has a particular makeup of the, the blueprints of consciousness, basically, and it's part of this experiment to allow the creator to experience itself in different ways, and the sublogos, or our sun, essentially, that is setting up this archetypical mind chooses certain configurations of how experience and catalyst and the veiling works. And I think that in this experiment, uh, allowing us to have this certain type and amount of free will within our solar system has led to this capacity for bellicosity on the level that we see it, which I think in terms of anything in the creation being surprised, it has kind of surprised the sublogos. I don't think the sublogos was like, let's see if we can make warlike plans that destroy themselves. But the idea is to give entities free will to a certain extent that allows them to uh, offer the creator experience. And we just kind of like went off in a certain direction. And that's sort of what we're contending with, I think.
4: Yeah, for a long, long time. Thank you very much. Appreciate yeah,
3: it. Absolutely. Thank you.
1: So we got a hand with Danny. Danny?
6: I think you're muted, Danny. Yes. Thank thank you. I this may be a little off-the-wall question. I the only other material I've ever come across that I think is considered channeled that gets into so much of the interplanetary aspects and things is is the is I'm not even sure I pronounce it right. I call it the Urantia book. And I asked Doug about it at one time. He said it was brought up by Don. And Ra just said that, the, that this was not sanctioned by the Confederation. Um, and it's considered to be the person who accessed the Akashic Records in the early 1900s. And I just wondered if you as a group have looked at that much to kind of see any similarities. When you mention Yahweh, I know there's quite a bit about it in here and it really starts more with the interactions with with Abraham and and things and i don't i don't even know if they're they're dealing with Yahweh on the same level but are you familiar with that or has that been looked into some
3: <clears throat> I don't think that anybody's made a really intentional investigation of it. I've tried to read it before and it is a dense, really crazy, really, really difficult thing to read. So it would take a lot of effort to read through it and piece apart and pick apart, you know, what might correlate to the law of one, how does it differ and stuff like that. Uh, But yeah, it is very interesting. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
0: Danny, you'll be doing a presentation on that uh, next month. Okay.
6: <laughs> this is how thick this book is. And these are pages like you would find in a Bible. <laughs> it's, wow. Wow, it's out there. <laughs> you know, maybe someone else in the group is, is familiar with it, too. I don't know.
5: <laughs> well, I have a question, comment. It, what's interesting, Austin, is that, um, you know, this, the raw contexts have come up in postmodern Western culture. You know where we've you know started going from modern the science of modernism, you know back into plumbing indigenous knowledge, going into consciousness. This explosion started happening, and it really started taking off. You know in the seventies and eighties, and it and it's very Western. I I look at a lot of the channeling as very Americana. Actually, I have I was I've been friends with a woman who's been a channeler, and um, in other. Cultures at like in Asia or other parts of the world, is this happening in a postmodern way? Like maybe India, you know, the, where there's billions of people, you know, they have uh, very interesting knowledge traditions there. I'm just wondering if it's like a channel, you know, where if it's like a channel, almost like this is a network, we're getting this perspective. Is other perspectives coming in? You know, and we need to maybe um, synchronize them in some ways,
3: or 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 compare them. I don't know. It's just a question I have. I do know that you know channeling is a practice that can be called many different things, uh, but th- these sorts of practices do exist in you know almost any culture. And I think your point is very true. The raw contact is a very Western oriented approach to spirituality. You know, it adopts a lot uh, a lot more from concepts from like Western magic, the Western occult magic traditions and stuff like that. So, it is a very Western approach. And I think th- sort of the way that I look at your question, I don't really have a, a solid answer, but um, there's an aspect uh, you may have heard, if you're familiar with this group, Doug talk about it before, spiral dynamics or um, the integral theory where, you know, cultures uh, individuals and cultures progress along a sort of pathway of um, consciousness development. And part of that uh, upward spiral into consciousness development is sort of like uh, reassessing things that came before and reinterpreting them in sort of a new light of consciousness. And America and the West has sort of developed in a very particular way. I guess a lot of people would call it individualistic and other cultures are a lot more um, collectivist in certain ways. And so, they're going to have very unique expressions of how we relate to others, which I think is the heart of spirituality. And so, I think that there will be reinterpretation on all sides and sort of emerging on all sides. And I think our technology is sort of an expression It is a manifestation of our urge to do that. You know, it's not necessarily the technology that enables it necessarily, but we have enabled the technology through our desire to connect in those ways. So now that we have a very interconnected world, if we can use that technology that we've developed to interconnect it, we can start to synchronize these things and come to a more coherent planetary view of these spiritual systems and spiritual ideas. I do think that a lot of these, particularly. Uh, sort of like the Hindu aspect of it, um, a lot of these things are being sort of modernized and looked at through a way that connects with other perennial traditions.
5: Right. No, I, th- I think a lot of it's separating, as I said, the wheat from the chaff, you know, where, you know, knowledge comes in in a certain uh, cultural st- uh, place and time, and some of it is more perennial or universal, and some of it is the noise of the culture war of the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. that, and that's the hard thing to, you know, that's the thing we try to hopefully refine as, as we evolve at, as a, um, a global society that we, re, we, we reduce more the superficial culture war quality of scripture, knowledge, channeling, and come down to the more universal quality of it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll always interpret our, these spiritual ideas from our level of consciousness and so we'll always sort of project the cultural, if we're engaged in the culture war, we're going to project it onto the spiritual messages. So, yeah, I think you're right that our job is to sort of pick apart where we're relating to culture on those levels and do our best to, you know, uh, integrate different perspectives instead of you know, pick and choose and reject some. Right, right. That's fascinating.
2: I want to add on to that really quickly. Um, I think a perfect example of that would be the tarot. So the tarot was, um, originally developed by Ra on Venus, um, over two billion years ago. And they used, of course, their own imagery. I'm sure that was relevant to their civilization. And then billions of years later, when they walked amongst the Egyptians, they talked in the tarot also, but they used imagery from the culture at that time. Um, and then we in our today society are still using the tarot. Of course, there are a whole bunch of different you know, imageries of it based off our present day. Um, but, you know, through all of that, through those billion years, the main message has been the same within the tarot. Um, so I think that's a perfect example here, how different cultures impact may- maybe the imagery or the uh, delivery of the message, but like I said, the core message remains the same and can be understood by, was understood by Ra in their density and their third density, and is still being used today in our third density.
0: Great. Fred? Yeah.
7: Hey, Austin. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I have a question. I, I've often wondered about, like, what would it be like to have, I kind of call it a now testament, like we have the Old Testament, New Testament. A now <laughs> testament would be possibly a series of channelings, uh, near-death experience stories, you know, all of these esoteric uh, pieces put together, and I guess my question to you is, especially with you know the raw material being so seminal in what I would consider modern day, uh, you know, channeling or divine message, uh, are you seeing uh, like these channelers uh, kind of come together to to kind of develop anything? Is a now testament being kind of <laughs> developed? <laughs> I guess that's my
3: question. Yeah, that's um, that's a really interesting question, a really huge question. I think uh, there's a few different ways that I could approach it from uh, and think about it from. First, in terms of that specific thought, whether there are channelers who are, might be coming together to form something like a Now Testament, um, it's possible. I do think that, you know, um, there's a lot of channeling that does get lost and like we were talking about, the sort of... Uh, culture war aspect, you know, uh, channeling is a a difficult process that requires a lot of um, intentional protection in order to do it properly. And so, you know, my opinion is uh, the Process that Carla developed were very, very effective. And uh, if you look at just the history and lineage of channeling groups, there's some really good ones, but there's a lot more that have, you know, fallen away and sort of gone down different paths of more talking about prophecies and doom and gloom and predictions, uh, stuff like that. And that happens so much that I don't know if channeling necessarily is a primary method that that would come about. I do think it's an element of it. Um, The thing that comes to my mind when you say that is something that's really been on my mind really heavily lately. And it is actually related to channeling in the sense that uh, the UFO issue is becoming very culturally prominent right now. And I have read a few very interesting books recently. One of them is called American Cosmic, uh, UFOs, Religion, and Technology. And it's focused on America. And it's from a professor of religious studies who is making the case that modern ufo experiences are related to a resurgence of a new modern religion and that you know experiences that have seeded and formed religions in the past were sort of based on the same energies and the same sort of manifestations that the ufo phenomenon uh, is bringing about right now and we're at a point right now i don't know it's not really the focus of this talk but I don't know who is familiar or keeping up with the discourse around disclosure and um, more public acknowledgement, institutional acknowledgement of UFOs. Right. But it does seem like we are nearing a precipice. It might still be a ten-year precipice, but nearing a precipice where there is institutional acknowledgement of the reality of UFOs right. from you, academics. You the hockey stick
7: is changing. Yeah.
3: yeah, it's changing. Uh, Government and academia, and the thing is, is once that hits academia, that is probably the institution that I think will be influenced the most through something like this. Because once you start getting into the specifics of UFOs and what they are, you can't ignore the spiritual relevance and significance of what they represent, what they tell us about our own reality, how we can use them for reflecting on our own perspectives and philosophies and spiritualities. Uh, it's not just spacecraft. They're not just nuts and bolts spacecraft with aliens in them. There's something so significant here that is going to be like a bomb to academia that um, opens up a world of, you know, new types of thoughts of what is physics? What is metaphysics? What is spirituality? How do all these things relate? And I think that that is sort of where this Now Testament might come from is at least a significant part through this acknowledgement of UFOs and all of the implications of UFOs, it seems like the UFOs are going to be that sort of thing that gets in there to pry things open, so that we can start looking at, you know, the essence of spirituality as it exists right now that we're all just kind of like segmented and hiding from.
5: Hey, often it seems that what you're getting at is that, you know, the UFO phenomena is going to open up other dimensions. I mean, basically, this stuff is so. When you when you hear about what it can do, what it is, it's so fantastic. It's like flying angels. And so what you're what you're looking at is, um, you know, society finally making a breakthrough through the ice of third dimension into fourth dimension. And, yes, in the past, it's been there um, with uh, celestial visions that have uh, informed and created religions. You know, when you think about you know all you know all the you know whether it's hindu uh you know you know uh, buddhist or christian or muslim uh visions have been huge celestial visions have been used and paintings of them have governed societies so you're what you're getting at is that ufos are going to bridge science and other dimension the celestial for lack of a better word is that what you're saying
3: a bit yeah that's related to what i'm saying is that ufo's especially in this world you know previously those religions that were formed through these aerial phenomena that are very similar to what ufo experiences experience or these visitations from entities that are very similar to what um experiencers experience in the modern day um were now much more connected so it's going to be a uh, much more of a global mythology that forms from this that we can relate to on a more global level but yes that there will be sort of this Um, reconfiguration, I think, particularly in the modernist, enlightenment-informed cultural view of materialism, essentially. Materialism will have to necessarily be broken open to acknowledge all of the aspects that the UFO is signifying to us, because once you start looking into the UFOs, even if you just look at it from a nuts-and-bolts spacecraft perspective, Things stop making sense at a certain point, and you have to start acknowledging some deeper aspects of reality, new dimensions, like you're talking about, not just physics necessarily dimensions, but dimensions of consciousness and how our consciousness relates to our reality and how mind and matter relate. Um, all those things, you know, academia has been down a materialist path for such a long time, uh, attempting to sort of isolate everything and study everything in a very particular material way that the ufo once it's acknowledged that it exists in these very fantastical ways um will have to force them to reconsider everything
5: well you know modernism brought energy you know and matter together how they interact and so it seems that where we're going now is energy matter and consciousness the consciousness equation may come into the e equals mc squared there'll be a another element of that that we don't fully understand i think so yeah
0: i'm aware of a couple of books uh i can't quote them the names or anything but there's uh we're groups of authors with scientific credentials, have come together to discuss consciousness in a very thoroughgoing way, so as to kind of be a new Bible for uh, scientists who do not want to limit themselves to materialism, and so they they they're kind of confronting other scientists with the non-materialist possibilities, and uh, so there already exists uh, new Bibles like that, if you would, because they're thick thick books like that with the uh, mm-hmm. sort of multiple authors. Uh, and if we start throwing UFOs in the mix, it's just one more step. And uh, uh, we're not far from that.
3: Yeah, I think we're getting pretty close. Uh, one author that I'm aware of that's really approaching things from that angle. His name is Jeff Kripal. Um, He's at Rice University. And he kind of approaches that from the, the paranormal, supernatural um, angle. And he's trying to make a push in universities to start acknowledging this aspect of how our consciousness influences our reality and sort of flipping materialism over, at least to see how consciousness and idealism relates to materialism.
0: Yeah. Danny, I think you have your hand up.
1: Yeah, this it's kinda of getting off the that subject a little
6: bit, but um I in, in, in all the, the channel material I've been through, there's there's always such a uh message of benevolence. And um really you know, the evil we see in, in the world and such is, is a lot from just the you know, the concept of the ego and separation and, 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 and the darkness that comes from that. And we impose so much on each other. And um, I have a family member that's still pretty convinced, you know, wants to talk about the devil a lot. And when we're sharing personal stories, he says, well, you know, that's, that's just that energy getting in the way and getting in your head and this and that. And, uh, and I know, and so the raw material for me, and I haven't, really digested all of it, but I know it gets into the Orion group, uh, which kind of brings that element in a little bit uh, that I've not come across in any other channeled works. Can you help me with just a general overview there in terms of, you know, maybe the, the theoretical and yet still the practical aspects of that? I think what I read the other night was that, you know, that uh, people that really are, in service to self and and quite a far along in that way, um, do possibly have interactions with the Orion group, but there are also people that aren't that far along in it that just have are open to their influence just by maybe where they're at in their life and the way they're thinking and feeling in certain moments.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Great question. So I do think you're right in terms of my experience reading spiritual texts, particularly channeling, and that the Law of One was the first one that I saw really flesh out the idea of service to others and service to self as legitimate paths, legitimate spiritual paths that can both take us towards, you know, the Creator. And so, the, the basic idea is that the light of the Creator is available to both of these polarizations. And it is our lot in third density, sort of the purpose of what we experience here in third density is to make that choice of service to others or service to self. And the way that we do that then can then persist into the further densities and that is what the Orion group is. They've made the choice of service to self uh, in terms of the chakra systems. They bypass the green ray chakra and they're able to penetrate intelligent infinity uh, through sheer willpower. Instead of using the heart to access the Creator, like a service to others beings do, they use the lower energy centers that rely on personal and social power to access the power from the Creator. The A key aspect of the material, though, is that once they reach the sixth density, the sixth density is what Ross says, uh, where both polarities have to release their polarity because it is encompassing everything. And so, service to others and service to self have to go through this process of releasing the polarity, but service to others has been on a path of inclusion and accepting and bringing things in this entire time. So, it's much easier for them to release their polarity and acknowledge the unity of everything because that's what they've been striving for this whole time service to self has a much more difficult time at that moment because their whole path up to that point has been an exclusion of a very primal piece of the Creator, the green ray chakra, love, and it's harder for them to release their polarity to take in the other polarity, to take in everything and acknowledge unity. So, that's an important aspect of the material for me is even though it acknowledges two separate paths to the Creator, they do unify at a certain point and that point is still emphasizing the unity that seekers like us are striving for to begin with. And so, here in Third Density, particularly on planet Earth, there would be service to others individuals who are striving for that, service to self-individuals who are striving for that, but also individuals in what Rock calls the sinkhole of indifference, people who have not made a clear choice between one or the other, and they primarily exist in a state of confusion. And in my opinion, and I think raw hints at this and other confederation sources are pretty clear about this, that a lot of the pain and suffering that we see that happens on our world is not necessarily the result of directly polarizing service to self-individuals, but people in the midst of pain, sort of, as you referenced, sort of like ego. They're confused by that ego, and maybe if they had a clear opportunity or a moment of clarity, they would choose service to others but they are stuck in this uh, sinkhole of indifference, unable to make the choice. Uh, But it is true that there are also service-to-self entities, and they might even promote this confusion. They might promote this pain because it helps them to uh, control things, because that's a primary aspect of the service-to-self path, is that of control and manipulation, whereas service to others is about acceptance and compassion. And so, there is this dynamic at play of sort of these three different sections and the service to self individuals do receive aid from the Orion group who have made that choice and they have a self interest in promoting service to self philosophy because then they can incorporate that into their sort of hierarchy of empires. You know, they can recruit individuals that they can then control in certain ways and that helps them expand their power. Whereas the Confederation, their interest is in aiding and Uh, relieving suffering and helping people to um, make their choice to get to the creator. And that's what they're attempting to do in influencing planet Earth. And so I think that is basically what you're asking about in terms of the service to others and service to self, how these other groups help to influence them, communicate and contact them, and how it all plays out on planet Earth.
6: Great. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you. Danny, were there any more practical
0: dimensions of that? Well, uh,
6: you know, yeah. Us? I mean, in, in in one sense, like uh, like something came up today, and 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 my brother felt like that a person in my life was being influenced by others who are very rebellious and have a lot of hurt and anger, and like they could actually reach out and kind of have a spiritual effect on this person by kind of bringing <laughs> this, you know, to him, it's like a demonic influence. He calls it warfare all the time. <clears throat> and most of the times I can see through all that and, and and see a lot of projections, see a lot of, you know, of, of his own unconsciousness coming through and playing everything out, out in the outer world and a, a lot of fear and, 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 and blame and stuff. But it, it was funny that it kind of synchronized with a, a pretty significant event in my life recently, and the reading about uh, the Orion group. So, um, you know, and, and 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 I I've had some discussions with him where I said, "Mark, I I don't believe in the devil anymore." You know, I I think I, you know, and and be, for for the reasons of what I've received through a lot of the channelings that I I, I believe are from Jesus and 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 marry people like that and and there's not a lot of talk about it it's not like okay this is a key part to your spiritual ascension and consciousness movement is to master the devil or something like that you know it's more like just keeping on moving in and love and light and and understanding your own shadow work you know and and your own woundedness but i I guess that would be more a, a little more specific application thank you troy okay well, we're, we're
0: getting ready to wind up, and I see Douglas has joined us. Did you want to weigh in on anything, Doug?
8: Hi, everybody. <clears throat> Thank you uh, for, for that invitation. I got in here a little bit late. Loving you in the dialogue, and, Austin, you are you are great. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, I
0: think. Yay, yay, Austin. Thank you so yay, much Austin. for, for uh, yeah. the clarity of thought and your ability to express yourself. Yeah.
7: Thank
8: you. The one thing that I wanted to add um, was this understanding of the spiritual dimension of the uh, UFO phenomena. And Fred had asked, is there a now testament? And to just to just to add one thing to what was already said, which was more important than what I'm about to say, I think, and that is... Um, the ufo phenomena i hope will point to the fact of the wholeness the universal nature of all things and that the ufos are really just other cells in this larger body and um, and that we are cells in this body who are who have yet to realize that we are cells in this one body <laughs> And so, you know, it, I think it's going to be stages. First, we're going to acknowledge that they exist. And then at some point, I think we're going to be able to see that they're not really that, it's not that weird. As cool as they are and as interesting as they are from our perspective, um, they are just cells in this larger body. And, and that gives us joy and perspective when we can contemplate that. So that that's just one thing I wanted to share. Thank you, though.
0: Thank you. And does anybody here want to volunteer to close us in prayer?
1: Did I see Donna say something? You probably saw me mouth, no. Oh.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I've not prepared anything, so I would probably babble.
1: (laughs) No, you want me to or no? Somebody
4: else. Oh,
0: but yeah, if you want go to,
4: go to go for it. No. No. I would prefer somebody else do it. Okay,
0: but. somebody else. <laughs> I don't mind. Okay, Fred, thank you.
7: All right, let's take all take uh, three collective uh, breaths together. One, two, three. It's the first one. Breathing in.
1: Letting out. Second one, so grateful and gratitude of what we experienced tonight.
7: And releasing. And on this third one, focusing on the oneness that we all are and that we are coming into.
1: Breathing in. And releasing.
7: Gracious Divine, thank you so much for this opportunity of calling our consciousness together to, as Peter once said, look diligently in a dark room as if we are looking for a shining light in a dark room. And in this time, I feel like we've all just found that glimmer of light right in a dark room and we focused on it. That alone
1: is a miracle. Because as dark
7: as they say the world is, that glimmer is bright. So we focus on that this evening. Thank you for what we've experienced as a collective. Thank you so much for Austin, for his work. We bless it and bless him. And we take what we've learned and ask that it would transform into a walking, talking, living, breathing glimmer of light in all of our respective lives. And all of your wonderful names, we pray.
1: Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. So wonderful to be with everybody. Thank
6: you, Austin. Thank you, Austin. Thank you all so much. You're the dude.
3: Thank you so much. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you all.
6: It's an honor to be here with you all.
4: (laughs) Come back and see us again.
3: Yes, we'll do. Yeah, absolutely.
6: Blessings.
4: Good night, everybody. Good
1: night. 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 Good night. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>